Go with me over to First um, Corinthians 15. We begin this, what was it, a couple of weeks ago or so. And I'm very excited about this. I would ask your, your faith with me on it. Let's read our text and then I'll explain. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. It says, thanks be to God. Somebody say, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Say it again. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say that out loud, real loud. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say it again. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we began talking about this earlier, and if you weren't here, go back and get the uh, previous message. It won't cost you a dime. You can download it for free off the Internet as well. And we talked about the connection between the thanksgiving and the victory. Is there a connection? Oh, there is. Go to 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. This is one of my favorite verses. I have many. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says what? Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. The smell of victory. The smell, the fragrance of life. Glory to God. What does victory smell like? (laughs) Yeah, somebody said sweet. That's right. What does defeat smell like? Stinks. (laughs) How many know defeat stinks? Losing stinks. Doesn't it? God did not call us to be losers. And we're not losers. The devil will try to convince you, you are a loser. Oh man, it's sad. He's convinced many, many Christians that they are losers. They might not readily just say it, but they believe it about themselves. Losers. But the truth is, he's the loser. He's not just a loser. He's the loser. Somebody say, why do you say that? Have you read the back of the book? Ain't nobody ever lost like him. He is the loser. You are more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer. You are victorious in him. He always causes you to triumph. Even when you've had setbacks, you still win. I mean, if everything went wrong. If everything went wrong because of your ignorance or mistakes or failures or sins or whatever the case might be. You didn't get your healing. You didn't get your bills paid. You, you, you didn't avoid the accident. Whatever. And you died young, broken, sick. You still win. Oh, come on now. You still, your name's in the Lamb's book of life. Right? You still win. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> now, if you learn how to live a life of real faith and follow Him, you can do a lot of winning down here. In fact, you can win again and again and again. He always calls you to triumph, but again, like we talked about during the offering, that's if you're being taught of him and following him and pursuing him. Now, again, you see thanksgiving connected with the victory. Thanksgiving connected with the triumph. And we went into detail last time talking about how it's not just thanksgiving after the victory, 
It's thanksgiving before. So many times people have thought, well, yeah, glory to God, we had a victory. Give God the praise and thanks. No, that's not all there is to thanksgiving. Giving God thanks before you see it is faith and connects you to the grace of God. I'm very excited about this tonight. I, you know, when you're excited about something, you have to kind of hold yourself. Don't let you smoke out of your bottle. You, <laughs> you want to jump ahead to the other thing, but you've got to pace yourself. <laughs> you know, uh, Brother Hagen, Brother Kenneth Hagen Sr., who's going to be with the Lord now, he said uh, they were in a place on a, a certain time, and famous evangelist was there in a big tent. And, uh, boy, I mean, the first night, he couldn't get to people in there. And the second night, it was a little less. And by, you know, night three or four, the crowd is just fourth of what it was. And, and he'd ask somebody, what what happened over there? You mean they started out so strong? And the fellow preacher told him, well, Brother Hagin said he, uh, he throwed all his marbles out the first night. Well, you don't want to do that and miss what you're supposed to be doing. But the Lord said something to me, I guess it was 25 years ago or so. And when I say that, I don't mean I heard an audible voice. I heard it inside me. And, uh, you know, sometimes people that bothers them, they say, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. I, I never heard the Lord telling me anything. And all these people talking about the Lord told me. It bothers me, all these people claiming they're hearing from God. Another fellow heard that one time. He spoke up. He said, it's all these people that never hear from God that bother me. Amen. <laughs> Can pe- Well, just back up with this. Do we have record in the Bible of God speaking to people yes. and them hearing Him? Yes. In New Testament as well as Old. Yes. Is He the same yesterday, today, and forever? Yes. Then why couldn't we hear from Him today? Uh, a big part of the thing is learning how he speaks. And, of course, there's a lot of people that claim he said and he didn't say. So you do have that as well. But you just, you know, I'm not telling you to believe everything I say just because I say it. Judge it. Judge it by the Scripture. Judge it by the Spirit you have on the inside. You and I got the same Spirit. Exactly the same. And if he said something to me, he's the same one that's in you. You'll have a witness about it. If you don't have a witness about it, just leave it alone. This is what he said to my heart. I wrote it down. It's etched in me. He, in a time of prayer, he spoke to me. He said, Keith, would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? Of course, he talks to you the way you understand. It would do him no good to speak Italian to me. Or Latin. It would do him no good to speak Hebrew to me. You know, I understand Mississippi English, (laughs) which is not entirely English. So, (laughs) but the amazing thing is God speaks every language and he says things to you in the way you understand it best, doesn't he? That's why sometimes people go, wow, does that sound like God? Well, he might say it differently to you. But he is able to cross all borders. And that's how I understood it. That he said to me, Keith, would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? Well, I didn't have to think about that one moment. I said, yes, yes, and please, yes. Yes, I want to know. And this is what he said to me. Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And the reason I'm excited tonight is because I'm seeing I didn't have a clue what he meant by that 25 years ago. I learned a few things and I put a few things into practice, but I'm getting light now, 25 years later, on why he said it. And what it means. So many times things are too simple for us. They just, we we think, oh yeah, that's good. Be thankful. Praise the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) 
And Jesus warned us. He said, take heed how you hear. Didn't he? Take heed how you hear. Because how you measure a thing and how you hear it is going to determine what you get out of it. And I'm excited because I am hearing it in a whole new way. I am seeing things I did never thought to see 25 years ago about this. And it's wonderful. We've always known Thanksgiving was important. We've always known that. You can just preach on Thanksgiving most any time. And if you do it long enough and in the right way, something will begin to stir in in people. And sometimes they'll just erupt with Thanksgiving before the service is over. I've seen it numerous times. Why? Something's going on. This thing's bigger than we've known. It's more important than we've known. It's connected to things we haven't seen fully. And I'm believing that through these next parts of these series, our eyes are going to be enlightened to it. And we're going to put it into practice in a different way. Listen to that phrase, cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. Every one of those words are important. Anytime the Lord says something like that, if it's really Him, you can find it in the Word numerous places. He's just saying what He's already said in a different way. In a way that causes you to recognize it. And look at it. Understand it. Cultivate means it's not going to happen automatically. Cultivate means you've got to do something. Cultivate means you've got to go break up the ground. You've got to plant the seed. Cultivate. A lifestyle. Lifestyle is not just church night. Lifestyle is not just two or three times a week for five minutes. What's lifestyle? Night and day. 24 It's your life. A lifestyle of thanksgiving. Now go with me please to Matthew the 16th chapter. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He's asking them, Who are they saying I am? They said, Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Others, Jeremiah. Are one of the prophets. He said unto them. But whom say you. That I am. What do they say. Now he's saying. What do you say. Simon Peter answered and said. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him. Blessed are you Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So he's speaking by revelation, isn't he? He's speaking by the Holy Spirit when he said that. And I say also to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now this uh, refers to what we were talking about earlier, isn't it? Why not tell them? You know, in John, numerous times the Bible would say, it started out with... Uh, at the wedding feast, when Jesus said, you know, what's that to me and you? My hour's not yet come. You see him say that numerous times. Sometimes he would tell people, don't tell it right now. Don't tell it to them. Hold on to it. Don't talk it. And he said, don't tell this. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show to his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Somebody say, bad idea. idea. (laughs) Now, this is an observation of mine. 
I think Peter might still be a little bit high from that previous (laughs) successful word. (laughs) And I mean, Jesus himself has said in front of everybody that Peter has gotten revelation from the Father and is speaking from the Father. So Peter's ready to do it some more. (laughs) He's thinking, man, I got a hotline from the Father. I mean, Jesus himself said it. That didn't come from me. Came straight from glory. I got the line on, man. I, I'm hooked. God through me. <laughs> now you're laughing, but this has happened. Oh, people wouldn't admit it. They would start out talking like this, but I think this is a huge limiting factor in how much God can use somebody. So many times, God bless somebody just a little bit, they begin to get the big head. It's true. He begins to use somebody just a little bit, and they take it too far. They start acting like what they're doing is God. Everything they're saying and thinking is God. And that's as far as he can use them. One of the first revelations I got from God as a teenager was I was reading the Bible through on my own for the first time in my early teens. I'd gone to Sunday school and I'd heard a lot of scriptures, but I'm doing it myself on my own. I'm getting hungry for God. And uh, I got to the place where it said in Numbers, now the man Moses was meek, very meek, above all the men that were on the face of the earth. Was that Numbers 12, 3, I think it is. Moses was very meek, and the Lord spoke to me. Again, not an audible voice. One of the first times I remember him speaking to me like this. He said, Keith, did you notice Moses was the meekest man in his generation on the earth? I thought, yeah, that's what it says. He said, did you also realize he's the most used man of me in his generation? I made the connection then. And I immediately began to try to find out what is real humility. Because the degree of your humility determines the limitations of your usefulness to God. Because He gives His grace to the humble. And I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself a little bit here because it's so pertinent. One of the key indicators and expressions of humility is thanksgiving. You show me a truly humble man or woman... I'll show you every time a thankful man or woman. Every time. Every time. Thankful. Thankful. Now, uh, Peter is uh, too bold and too forward, fresh off of his experience of being used of the Father. He decides that he is uh, in place to rebuke the Master now. He's just going to step right on up and rebuke Jesus. Now, the the scripture said he did it privately. He called him to the side. (laughs) Well, that was nice of him, wasn't it? I mean, (laughs) if you read other translations, the the took him includes him, said, Jesus, come here. (laughs) It happened, friends. Jesus is explaining to them, he's telling them about all the bad things that's about to happen to him. How he's going to be tried and mocked, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be killed, dead, and he's going to be raised. And in the middle of this, he keeps talking about it, and finally Peter goes, Jesus, Jesus, come here, Jesus. No, Jesus, this is not going to happen to you. 
And Jesus responded in one of the strongest ways that you will see in the gospel accounts. And I want to draw your attention to how strongly he responded. Are you ready? Peter said, he began to rebuke him. Be it far from you, Lord. No way. No how. This shall not be to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wow. This is strong, isn't it? Why would it be so strong? Because it is so serious what's going on here. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. This probably let the air out of Peter. (laughs) Don't you imagine? (laughs) Because I don't think Jesus was quiet about this. Peter's calling him over to the side, rebuking him. And Jesus wheels around. I think everybody around there heard this. Get behind me, Satan. Now for the master to do that had to be serious. Is he calling Peter the devil? No, Peter's not the devil. But Peter is yielding to the devil and the devil is speaking through Peter the same Peter that just a few verses before the father was speaking through true or not is it true you can yield to the Holy Spirit in the morning and yield to the devil in the afternoon it's true He went on to say, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let me read this to you from some other translations. There's so much here. The Young's literal says, This shall not be to you. Be kind to yourself. The margin of my Bible has a number one for, and it says GR for Greek. It says, pity yourself. Everybody say that out loud. Pity yourself. yourself. Say it again. Pity Pity yourself. About what? About all these bad things that are about to happen. Did Jesus deserve these bad things? Had he done anything to earn this kind of treatment, this mocking, this scourging, this crucifixion, this death, this going to the heart of the earth and paying the penalty for all our sins, did he deserve any of that? And yet he's a man. He has all the feelings you have. He has taken on himself flesh and he has become like other men. He is, he's not almost like a man, he is a man. We spent, you know, months around here a while back uh, reading the scriptures and talking about how he was tempted in all points, just like us, yet without sin. Was he capable of feeling like it wasn't fair or it wasn't right? Or he didn't deserve this. Yes. He'd have to deal with some of the same feelings you or I would. And that is the heart of the issue. What is the enemy trying to get him to do? To focus on that. And pity yourself. Let me read this to you from some other translations. The easy to read says, Jesus said to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You're not helping me. You don't care about the same things God does. You only care about what people think are important. The NET says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. 
the uh, the English version says, "You're an obstacle in my way." God's word says, "Get out of my way, Satan! You're tempting me to sin." Now think about it. Why would he respond like this? Why would he respond like this? Because he's already dealing with it. Are you listening? Now sometimes people don't like to look at this because they think, well, that's Jesus. Why did Jesus sweat blood in the garden? What was he dealing with? What was going on? There's nobody physically hurting him yet. He's there by himself. What's going on? The Bible said you have not resisted sin yet unto blood. He's resisting temptation to sin. Are y'all with me now? It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to yield to the temptation. And he was tempted in all points, just like us. In fact, he's tempted. He was pushed to the limits anybody could, any human being could ever be tempted in. All the way. He's sweating blood. Resisting what? Well, listen to the prayer. It tells you right there. He said, oh, Father, all things are possible to you. And if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What's the problem? After his own humanity, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't deserve it. Yet, what does he come back with? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And here, he's already dealing with this. He's telling them about it. How many understand, this is not the first time he's thought about this when he's telling them. The reason he's talking to them about it, it's about to happen. Everything's been leading up to this. And he's tempted already. He's being pulled, and it only got worse to the point of the garden. And now, one of his closest helpers is yielding to the devil and saying what the devil's been bothering him with for months now, vocalizing it, thinking he's being a friend. And Jesus responded strongly, get behind me, get behind me. Jesus said in verse 24, if any of you want to be my follower, you must stop thinking about yourself and what you want. You must be willing to carry the cross that's given to you for following me. The basic English, he turned to Peter and said, get out of my way, Satan. You're a danger to me because your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of men. You're a danger to me. That's why he responded so strongly, wasn't it? He can't listen to this for a minute. He can't entertain this for a second. And he wanted Peter and all the other guys around there to know in no uncertain terms, this is not God. This is the devil. We're not going to talk this. We're not going to think this. I'm not going to talk to you about it. Why? Because it was all designed to get him to not do the will of God. And to feel sorry for himself. One of the absolute worst things that could ever happen to you in life, ever, is for you or I to feel sorry for ourselves. And I'm going to jump ahead again. And I'm about to come back and explain this one point at a time. If you're feeling sorry for yourself, what are you not being? You're not being thankful. You can't be thankful and feel sorry for yourself at the same time. Impossible. And the Lord gave us some light last time we taught on this. Is there a place in between being thankful and being unthankful? (laughs) Can you say, well, I may not be just really thankful about it, but I'm not unthankful. Is that true? 
There is no place in between thankful and unthankful. If you're not thankful, what are you? You're unthankful. Is that a problem? It's a bigger problem than I'd ever seen. And I saw a few things over the years, but I'm seeing now, man, this thing goes right straight to the core of our help. What would the devil care? Whether we feel sorry for ourselves or not. Or whether we're unthankful. How would that benefit him? What would he care? I'm telling you. It does. Make the difference. In winning and losing. He said you're a danger to me. Is somebody talking to you. About feeling sorry for yourself. Or being justified in being depressed. And feeling sorry for yourself. Is it a danger to you? Should you respond strongly about that? Should you not give place to it for one second? Should you stop and say, wait, wait. We are not talking about that. No. Go with me to 1 Kings. 21st chapter. Pity yourself. The enemy through Peter was trying to get Jesus to think about himself instead of the plan of God. Think about what he was going to suffer, what he was going to go through, how he didn't deserve it. And if the enemy could have got him over there, in that realm of his mind, he's got a right To feed to him feelings and thoughts that would bring him down and cut him off from the grace of God. Now again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit saying that. But I want you to keep it in your mind and be rolling it over. Say it out loud. Thanksgiving Thanksgiving is connected connected. to the grace of God. What got him through the mocking, the garden, first of all? What got him through sweating blood? What got him through them coming and taking him and smiting him and the crown of thorns? And What got him through that? Hmm? It was the grace of God. I said it was the grace of God. Yes, he had faith. Yes, he obeyed. But it was the grace of the Father. What got him through? How could you hang there on the cross in that kind of agony and look down and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's grace. Somebody say grace. Grace. Grace is a gift. Somebody say gift. Grace is a gift. You cannot earn grace. You don't deserve grace. You never will. Grace is a gift. Who gets grace? The humble get grace. The proud get resisted. The humble get grace. And we already know one big indicator of humility is what? Thanksgiving. Don't take my word for it. Study it out. But we can't cover everything in detail in one night. Thanksgiving and grace are connected. Let's go back to this phrase the Lord gave me 25 plus years ago. Would you like to know how to increase your capacity to receive from me? How am I, are you going to receive any good thing from God? Yeah, it's through our faith, but it's first of all by His grace. Through our, we got nothing to receive through our faith until it's by His grace. You can only receive what God's given to you. And He gives you nothing because you deserve it. He gives you nothing because He owes you. Nothing. One of the ugliest things there is, is you owe me. I deserve it. This attitude, 
this feeling, these thoughts, these words will cut you off from the grace of God. I correct people oftentimes concerning myself. And I know they may not understand it, but I do it to keep myself straight as much as anything else. Numerous times something good happens to you. People will say, why? Y'all work hard. You deserve it. I say, no. Nope. I don't deserve it. People look at you strange. Like, yeah, you, y'all work hard. Y'all do good. You deserve it. No. No. I don't believe I deserve it. I refuse to say I deserve it. And so should you. I lost a bunch of people right there, didn't I? Find me any scriptures that support you deserving it. But if you feel that you do, you're in trouble. The Lord said this phrase to me. I'm throwing out a lot of marbles here. (laughs) But is it okay if I go back and pick one of them up that I've already put out? we'll, We'll talk about it. The Lord said this to me about the same length of time ago. You can't be gracious to one who feels they deserve it. You cannot be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. Say it out loud. You can't be gracious to someone who feels they deserve it. Impossible. Whether you understand that or not, it's a fact, it's a truth. What does that mean? If you do it for them, they feel like you should have done it. They deserved it, you owed them. So grace is out of the picture. It's impossible for you to be gracious. And if they don't deserve it, unless the Lord dealt with you to do it, You're making a mistake in doing it. Because the truth is, they don't deserve it. I don't care if they're family. I don't care if they're friend. I don't care who they are. Because if you feel like it's owed to you in any way, or you feel like you deserve it in any way, you will not, you are not thankful for it. And grace is out of the picture. And God only does things for human beings by grace. Only. Only. So personally, for decades now, I have removed the phrase from concerning me and my vocabulary and Phyllis and myself about us deserving anything. It's not just a point of talk. I don't believe it. I don't want it said. I'm not trying to be humble. I don't want it said. It's a hindrance to me. Did you hear me? Do I have a lot of nice stuff? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Why? Because God is good to me. He's good to me. He's gracious. Do I deserve it because I worked hard? No. 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 Have you worked hard? Yeah, we've worked hard at times. Night and day at times. There's times we've gone year after year after year with no break, no vacation, no anything. We've laid aside stuff. We've laid, well, then you deserve it. No, we don't. No. No. Everything the Lord has done for us is a gift from Him. Because He's been gracious to us. And we don't deserve it. We're thankful for it. But we don't deserve it. I see I got my work cut out for me. I can just feel there's a lot of people watching and listening. You think deserve it is right sometimes. And if we can't get this fixed, you'll have cut yourself off from the grace of God in numerous areas of your life. It's an answer to why some things haven't happened yet. God doesn't owe you a spouse. 
God doesn't owe you grace to lose 50 pounds. God doesn't owe you. Did you hear me now? He doesn't owe you any of this. He wants to give it to you. It's already bought and paid for. But it is not owed you and you don't deserve it and you never will. How much more of this can you take? Go to Ephesians first. (laughs) Ephesians. Have you noticed how many times in the epistles he starts out the letter and or closes the letter with grace? Grace be unto you. Grace. Do you understand there's other words he could have used? He could have said life. He could have said joy. He could have said peace. But again and again, he says what? Grace. Why? Because, friend, every success in your life is completely dependent on the grace of God. Every success, every victory in your life is dependent on the grace of God. We, as a usual thing, we don't realize how dependent we are on the grace of God. If you've lived a few years and maybe had a little success in something, you get to thinking, well, I know that. I can do that. But the truth is, it's not you. Remember Paul talked about, he said, I labored more abundantly than them all, and yet not I. It was the grace of God. See, he had discovered this. He had understood this. Oh, this about the same length of time ago, 25 plus years ago, I was working there at Brother Kenneth Hagin's ministry at the healing school and prayer school. And uh, I was spending a lot of extra time with the Lord and having some really wonderful times of fellowship with Him. Special, special. Just extra time. And in a time of waiting on Him, I saw that I did not realize how much of things in my life was His grace. I got that revelation. And so I asked Him. I said, well, Lord, I want to see. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to go around thinking it's me and it's you. Help me to see it. I want to know. Show me. Don't make a doctrine out of this. This is an experience that I had. Don't pray this necessarily. But I said, I want to know. Show me. At that time, I was teaching in the healing school. I was teaching and ministering in prayer school. I was teaching um, in the Bible school. I was very busy. And after a few years of that, I'd, sometimes I'd get up with two verses and preach for an hour and a half and quote Scripture through half of it and all kind of illustrations. Sometimes I wouldn't even have a song list. I'd sing song after song. They'd just come to me. I would know all the words to hundreds of songs and all the chord progressions without writing them down. Just flow out of me easily. And I've always been able to speak. I mean, in kindergarten, I performed Bill Bailey for the whole bunch <laughs> with a hat and cane. <laughs> in middle school, there was a big convention in a certain thing we were doing, and nobody was there to run for president. I said, I'll run. I got up unprepared, made a speech. They all voted me in president. Not ashamed, not bashful. I could get up in front of people. I could speak. Well, when you do that all your life, you can get to thinking, that's just me. I can do that. Wrong. I said, wrong. Tell me what it is. Come on, help me out. What it, it's grace. It's grace. And I saw in waiting on the Lord that I did not realize I wasn't distinguishing between me and what I could do and His grace. And I asked Him, I said, Lord, I want to know. I do not want to be ignorant. I want to know so I can be thankful like I should be and walk in the truth and not believe lies and not be confused. But I was not prepared for what happened after that. Again, don't make a doctrine out of this. I'm telling you an experience I had. A couple of days after that, 
I got up in the morning and it felt like, I don't make a doctrine out of this, it felt like the grace had been taken off of me, suspended off of me. I went in that morning and I'm supposed to preach and do music. And I felt like I couldn't do it. And this is strange for me. And I thought, come on, Keith, come on now. You do this every day. I thought, okay, uh, well, I'll start singing and playing. I'm, I'm thinking, I couldn't even think where to put my hands on the piano. Now, you may think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. I couldn't think. I thought, come on, boy, you do this every day. And a feeling of fear came over me, of inability. I couldn't put one verse with another. I think, well, you'll start here and what illustration. I couldn't. It's hard for me to even explain it to you. But I was so that way and it got worse as the morning went by. I asked somebody else to take it. I didn't see how I could do it. And I was that way for how long, Phyllis? A few days. Three or four days. Scared her. Scared me. I just sat and looked out the window for three days. And the enemy brought thoughts to me. You'll never preach again. You've lost it, whatever it is. You can't do it. You don't know how. And I didn't. I couldn't put a thought together with another thought. I didn't know one verse with another or how it would flow or an illustration. How many understand? Man, woman, me, anybody, get up and words flow out of you. And thoughts and illustrations and verses and truth and revelation. None of us can do this of ourselves. Do you understand this? I was that way for three days. And at the end of that time, I sensed when the grace came back on me. And for lack of a better way, I felt like my old self. But now I know. What's me and what's him? And the truth is, without him, you can't find the door to get out of the house in the morning. I'm telling you, without him, I don't care who you think you are, what you've done, or how long you've done it. These abilities are graces. They're graces. Some of them we're born with. God puts them in us from birth. Some of them, some of these graces, God has put in us from our mother's womb. And that's some of the things you can think is you. Because it's been with you your whole life. And you can do it. But it's grace. This is particularly the way you can identify it. Is if there's a thing that other people find challenging and hard to do. But it just comes real easy and natural for you. Grace. It's not because you're so amazing and so intrinsically wonderful of yourself. It is the grace of God for which you ought to thank Him every day and night. Thank Him, thank Him, thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. And thank God it came back to me. And I've been a preaching ever since. <laughs> But I know, I know better than I ever knew before that what's him and what's me and how helpless I am without his grace. I'm not telling you to pray that way. Don't seek that. That's an experience. That's not scripture. But uh, I do want you to believe it and understand that without his grace, you're totally helpless. And that abilities in your life, some things you're born with, some things he adds to you when you're born again. Other things he adds to you when you're filled with the Spirit. Other graces he can add to you throughout your life, through different phases of your life and ministry. And I've come full circle again to what he told me originally. He said, would you like to know, Keith, how to what? How to increase. Your capacity to receive from, receive what? Well, anything you're going to receive has to do with grace. Oh, come on, can you see it? Grace. 
Would you like to be able to receive more grace giftings? More grace abilities? Oh, come on. Are you interested in this? What did he tell me to do? Cultivate a lifestyle of thanksgiving. It works something in you when you're continually thanking God. You're living in reality, which is another big indicator of true humility. Real humility is just reality. In that you are thanking God for all these things that are Him that other people are taking for granted that's themselves. And because you are aware and know what's really going on, then you're valuing what He's giving you. He can give you more. And the more He gives you, you won't take glory for it and claim it's you that did it. You'll know it's Him. And He can add to you and add to you and increase you and increase you. If you're doing what? Come on, if you're doing what? You're cultivating. You're working it. Come on, you get up in the morning and you put your mouth in gear. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For the health in my body. Thank you Lord for the life in my mind. Thank you Lord for the favor I have everywhere I go. Thank you Lord for the skill and ability. In my hands. In my eyes. In my ears. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's your grace. For which I am thankful. Thankful. And if you practice this diligently. It works something so powerful in you. That enables you to receive greater grace. Which makes you increasingly useful and fruitful to the kingdom. Are you excited about this at all? I tell you, I, <laughs> makes you want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Ah, thank you, Master. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 4. Before you read this, go to Romans. Romans, please. I think we need to establish this better before we get into that part. Romans, the fourth chapter. It's interesting, the Greek word that's translated grace is translated, you know, the most frequent times, other than grace, favor and thank, or thankful. The word for grace is translated thankful. Have you thought that way before? It is so intertwined, it is so the same. We, you know, if you ask somebody, say, what is grace? A lot of times people say, the unmerited favor of God. It is favor. But grace is one of the biggest words of the Bible. You can't define grace with a few phrases out of a dictionary. What is grace? The planet you're sitting on (laughs) is grace. The breath in your lungs, the light in your eyes. I'm telling you. God didn't just create this thing. He sustains it every millisecond. He didn't just create the sun. He's why it'll continue burning the next hour. He didn't just create the planet. He's why it'll continue to spin throughout the night. Are you with me? Grace. What about people that don't believe that? They don't believe in so-called creationism. They don't believe in God. They are also unthankful. Unthankful. Why? Well, they're not going to be thankful for something they don't believe happened. But unbeknownst to them, that unthankfulness has darkened their minds. And their understanding so they can't even see God and can't even understand Him. And has cut them off from the grace in Jesus that they so desperately need. 
On the one hand, they're clamoring and screaming and crying. They need grace for their relationship. They need grace for their body. They need grace to raise their kids. They need grace to be a success on their job. But they've cut it off by not acknowledging Him. Somebody say, not me. me. I believe believe. and I'm thankful. thankful. Back on up to the first chapter of Romans. Romans 1 says this. Verse 20. Romans 1.20. The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Phyllis and I on vacation just a few days ago, we went by this place that had all these puppies. Phyllis saw it and said, I'm going to stop and play with them puppies. So we went in there and then they had puppies. Oh, brother. They had little poodles, little bulldogs, little every kind of, and they're all in the floor jumping up and down, wanting to play. And we looked at them, and and we came out, and I said, now, that came out of God. Whoever thought up a puppy? (laughs) A little fuzzball, jumping, playing, want to lick your nose puppy. By looking at that, you're learning something about God. That's in Him. The majesty of the mountains is in Him, but puppies are in Him too. <laughs> Amazing. That's in Him. And every everything we see, In this amazing creation that's beautiful and wise and glorious and perfect and fun and everything. We ought to look at it and go, thank you, Lord. Shouldn't we? We should go, thank you, Lord. Look at this. This is who you are. This is what you are. When people say there is no God, there is no proof of God, they are willingly ignorant. Because everything around us. Is talking to us about him. Telling us about him. This didn't just happen. People say well I don't believe in creation. I believe in evolution. You use the right word. Believe. It's an unproven theory. And you just accept it by faith. Without any proof. It's a faith issue with you. You've just chosen to believe it. Oh, friends, like I've said before, some say, well, it was the Big Bang. There probably was a Big Bang when God spoke. (laughs) But the perfection of the cycles, the orbits, the magnetic forces, the principles and laws of light and and gravity and and where this planet is. How I many of it was a little bit closer or a little bit further away from the sun? None of this works. And and well, it's amazing. It just evolved so perfectly. Listen, you can take all the C4 you want to and set it off in the middle of a salvage yard, and you can make explosions for the next one zillion years. And never, when the dust clears, will there be a new Lexus sitting there. Never. 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 (laughs) To have things like that, you have to conceive it in yourself. You have to design it. You have to build it. You have to create it, engineer it. Well, God has set it all up by faith, so it's a choice. But keep reading what happened when you choose not to believe. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they what? They glorified Him not as God. Neither were what? Neither were thankful. But became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how many books you've written. You don't believe in God. You're a fool. It's just a fact. Ain't got enough sense to realize somebody's giving you your next breath. You ought to understand you're not giving it to yourself. Well, where's it coming from? What's keeping the sun burning? What's keeping the world turning? This is the principle I want you to see. When we fail to be thankful. Now again, is there a place in between being thankful and unthankful? If you're not thankful, you're unthankful. That's why the Lord said to me, cultivate it. You don't just wait for it to fall on you automatically. You have to stir yourself up and say, I've got to be thankful. Stir your mouth up. Stir yourself up. Express thanks. Because of not being thankful, what happened? And what happens still? What happens? Became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. The more unthankful you become, the dumber you get. Darkness comes over your mind. The less you see, the less you understand. Another way of saying it, like we've already said, when you stop being thankful, you cut yourself off from the grace of God. It's only by grace we see things and understand things. Now go to the fourth chapter, please. Romans 4. Verse 4, now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You'll see this theme in Romans You'll see it in Galatians, you'll see it in Ephesians, you'll see it in Colossians, you'll see it in Hebrews, you see it over and over and over again. Have you read the New Testament? Works versus faith. Do you know it's big? James, oh man, it's all over the place. Works versus faith. And what is the word again and again? It's not by works. It's not by works. How many have read the Bible enough to know what I'm talking about? It is not by works, it's by grace. Well, here's the thing. If it's by works, it's owed to you. See the word debt? If anything is owed to you, it's because you worked for it. You earned it. You merited it some way. And if it is owed to you, if you deserve it, grace is not involved. It's a debt. Go to the 11th chapter, please. The 11th chapter of Romans. Just a couple more verses here. Romans 11 and 5. He says, even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. According to what? Grace. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. That's King James, but why would he say it that way? Because if it's grace, it is not works. And it cannot be works. If it is works, it can't be grace. If it's works, you deserve it. It's owed to you. There's no reason for you to be thankful. You earned it. You worked for it. You deserve it. But when it comes to God doing things for you, what things fall into that category of things that you've earned, of things that you deserve, things that you've worked for and He owes you? Not one thing. Not one thing. Being in healing school for years, I've had people come to me more than once or call or write in. And I'm, this is a composite, but people say things like this. They say, Brother Keith, 
My Aunt Mildred, one of the finest women on the planet, loved God with all her heart, and she worked so hard in the church. She's there every time the doors open. You know, she cooked for people and and visit people and and just pray all the time, and, and just a wonderful woman of God. But the Lord wouldn't heal her. She didn't get her healing. How come? And that's shocked when I say, well, what does her being a good woman have to do with her getting healed? They look at me like, and this is the problem. People think it does. They think because I've been a good Christian, God owes me something. And if you feel that way, whether you express it or not, if you feel that way, if you entertain thoughts that way, you're cutting yourself off from His grace. He cannot be gracious to you because you feel you deserve it. Finally, Ephesians. Second chapter. Ephesians 2. He said, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, somebody say, thank God, thank God, for His great love wherewith He loved us, thank God. Say, thank you, Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Even when we were dead in sins, He quickened us together with Christ by grace. You are saved. Everybody say by grace. By grace. It's by grace. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus because we've done such a good job believing him. No. No, it's by his grace that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Friend, that's throughout eternity. He's going to be revealing amazing things to you and me and for you. And not one of them will we ever be able to stand up and say, I deserved it. Not one of them. Not a one. He said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Somebody say gift, gift. It's a gift. If somebody gives you a gift that you didn't earn, that you didn't deserve, that they no way, no how owed you, what should you do? What should you say? You should say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. He said not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Stand on your feet everybody please. This ministry has been brought to you today. Free of charge. By the partners of More Life Ministries. And Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.